Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The word of God for our meditation this morning is from Proverbs chapter 3, reading there verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. This is the word of our God. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, do you think of yourself as a wealthy person? Do you consider yourself to be rich? I think our instinctive reaction to that question is to answer no both times, because we, we think of rich people, we think of others. We think of glitzy rock stars climbing out of limousines, we think of glamorous actors and actresses walking down red carpets, we think of high-powered CEOs sitting on their 100-foot yachts. We usually don't think of ourselves. Perhaps we should. Let me give you a little perspective this morning. Uh, this week, I took a look online at the demographics for the city of Manitowoc, and it was kind of interesting what I found. Currently, the population of our city is between 36 and 37,000 people. The median household income in Manitowoc is $42,417 per year. The average household income is $55,761. In our city, there are 2,823 households that make between $50,000 and $74,999 a year, 1,687 households that earn between $75,000 and $99,999 per year, and 1,590 households that bring in $100,000 or more per year. Let me give you some further perspective. If you make just $10,000 per year, then you are wealthier, at least as far as income goes, than 84% of the world's population. And if you make $50,000 or more per year, and again, the average income in Manitowoc is $55,000, but if you make $50,000 or more per year, then you are in the top 1% or 2% of the world's wealthiest people, depending on who you ask and exactly how you figure it up. Now, why do I give you all that data? I bring it up because the portion of God's word before us today says, honor the Lord with your wealth. Clearly, we all have wealth with which to honor him. In fact, everybody does, no matter how rich or how poor they may be, as Jesus' account of that widow who brought that offering of two small copper coins in the gospel today illustrates for us. The portion of God's word before us today gives us two really good reasons to honor the Lord with our wealth, with the first fruits of what he's given us. Number one, the God of grace deserves our very best. And number two, this same God of grace promises to graciously bless such first fruits giving. The words of our text were originally penned by King Solomon. Now you may remember that Solomon, at the beginning of his reign as a very young man, came before the Lord and he prayed, and he did not ask for great wealth, Instead, he asked the Lord for a discerning heart. He asked him for wisdom. And God, who is so very gracious, gave him both. He gave him wisdom and wealth. But he made Solomon so wise that many of his words have now become part of the wisdom literature of the Bible. Those who first read Solomon's wise words in our text 
were God's chosen people, the Israelites, who lived in an agrarian society. God had given them the promised land, and this is how that promised land is described. It's called a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. In this fertile land, God provided for the needs of his people. He gave them their daily bread, but even more importantly, he fed their faith with the promise of a Savior. And the God who so graciously blessed them expected them to respond to his grace with thanksgiving. He even told them one of the ways they should give thanks to him. He expected his people to tithe. A tithe is 10%. They were to bring the first and best 10% right off the top of what the land produced for them. They were to bring the, the very best of the wheat and the wine and the olive oil and the figs, whatever the land produced. They were to bring to the Lord the choicest of all the animals of their flocks in sacrifice. Now, did God's chosen people always do this faithfully? And when they did do it, did they always do it with the right attitude in their hearts? Again, we have to answer no both times. Sometimes God's people just went through the motions of worshiping him, and sometimes they brought to him offerings that could hardly be described as the first and best and generous. God talked about this once. When you bring blind animals for sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or diseased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Will he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. Wow, those are, are pretty pointed words that the Lord spoke to his people. Could such words ever be directed to you and me? Sadly, often, yes, they can. Because, you see, we have by nature the same stingy, greedy, idolatrous hearts that they had. Hearts that are always looking for ways that we can keep more back for ourselves. Hearts that just want to give God nothing but the leftovers. In his word, our God gives us a lot of direction when it comes to bringing offerings. For us, for us his New Testament people, there's no longer the requirement that we are to tithe to bring 10%. And yet, God does give us a number of principles for giving. He wants our offerings to be what can be called generous. He wants our offerings to be proportionate to our income. In other words, a percentage of what he's given us, whether that's 10% or some other percentage. Uh, he wants our offerings to be carefully planned and regularly giving. And of course, he wants us to give those offerings with smiles on our faces because we're responding to his love. He wants us to give them cheerfully. He wants us to gladly return to him the first and best portion of what he has so graciously given us. That is first fruits giving. Just think about the custom of, of tipping your server in a restaurant. Now, this is not a perfect analogy, uh, but I think it, it is useful. The accepted amount uh, of a tip for a good service is between 15 and 20% of the bill. Now, if you left your server a tip that is 1% or 2% of the bill, how do you think that would be received? Would that be an honor or would that be an insult? Now we have to ask this. Do our offerings to the Lord always honor him or could they at times be considered 
an insult. Sometimes, for example, we bring him the very first portion of those paychecks. We write out that first check for our offering, but what we give is hardly something that could be considered a generous portion. Sometimes we, we bring an offering to the Lord, but we bring exactly the same thing that we've given to him year after year for many years without thinking about the fact that the Lord has increased our income and increased the blessings that he's given to us. Sometimes we don't bring him anything because we happen to be out of town that weekend or because something else more important happened to come up. And sometimes we bring him a, a generous, planned, regular portion, percentage of our income, beautiful offering to him. But honestly, we do so with less than cheerful hearts. We have hearts that are always thinking about the other things that we could be doing with all that money, hearts that just have a hard time letting go of that offering envelope. Honor the Lord with your wealth. The question we need to ask ourselves honestly every time we bring an offering to the Lord is this. Does this offering truly honor my Savior God? And my friends, too often the answer that you have to give and that I have to give is one that exposes us for who we are by nature, selfish sinners who desperately need a Savior. I am so happy to tell you this morning, as I'm happy to tell you every single week, that what we need we have. What we need so desperately our God has given to us, we have a Savior. And just think about this. Though we often fail to honor the Lord with our wealth, He has never failed to honor us with His. Our God spared no expense for us. Our God spent extravagantly. Our God gave up for us that which is most precious to Him. Our God gave us something that is valuable beyond our comprehension. He gave us his one and only son. You see, he is the God of grace. That, by the way, is what his name means. The name, the Lord, in our text. Whenever you see the Lord with all capital letters, that's a special name for God. That's his Savior name, the name Yahweh. It shows him as the God of salvation, as the God of faithful grace. Really, it proclaims him as the God of the covenant, the God who makes promises. And just think about this for a second. Though he was under no obligation at all to do so, in fact, though he had every right and every reason to condemn every sinner to an eternity of he in hell, our God actually obligated himself to the terms of a solemn contract, a promise, a covenant that he made with us. And what's interesting about this, in this covenant, in this promise, our God does all the work and we receive all the blessings. You see, God in grace promised to send the serpent crusher to destroy the devil's work and to save a world full of sinners. And 2,000 years ago, our God made good on this promise. He sent his one and only son. We see God's ancient promise fulfilled in the manger where we find the God-man born to take our place under the law and keep it perfectly. We see that promise fulfilled at the cross, where God's one and only Son willingly, selflessly shed His holy and precious blood to pay for the sins of all people, yours and mine included. We see that promise fulfilled at the empty tomb, which is the sign and seal that God accepted everything that Jesus did for us. That empty tomb which pulled the stinger out of death and flung wide the gates to eternal life for all who believe in Jesus. My friends, we enjoy the fulfillment of God's promise every single day 
in the peace of his forgiveness, in power that he gives us through his word for daily living, and in the hope of eternal life in heaven. And all of that, believe it or not, is summed up in that one little name, the Lord. A name, by the way, which God uses for himself more than 5,000 times in the Old Testament. Because, you see, our God wants us to know his Savior name. He wants us to know and to be certain that in Jesus we are saved. My friends, it is this God, the God of the promise, the God of faithful, saving grace that we honor with our wealth. His love makes us glad to do so. His mercy makes us cheerful givers. And I want you to consider this. As if that wasn't enough, that God sent his son to save us, that he made that wonderful promise and fulfilled it in Christ, God still gives us more promises on top of that. And we have a wonderful example in the text before us. Listen to it again. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Now, I could have stopped right there. This is my command. Respond to my love and bring me the first fruits of, of what I've given you. But God does something else. He attaches a promise to the command. He says, Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Our God does something here that he did not have to do. Again, he attaches that promise to his command. He commands that we honor him with our first fruits, and then he promises to graciously bless that kind of first fruits giving. And by the way, notice, not just a little bit of blessing either overflowing barns, vats that are brimming with new wine, generous and rich and abundant blessings, unearned blessings, by the way, because they come to us as a result of God's undeserved love. I can't help but think of another time when God did something similar, when he attached a promise to his command, when he promised to bless faithful first fruits giving. In Malachi, God tells his people, he tells us, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Again, God doesn't promise here just a little bit of blessing. He promises a flood of blessings, more blessings than we can even handle. Some of you here this morning are old enough to remember the old TV commercials in the 1970s featuring rough and tough actor and former boxer Robert Conrad. Remember that guy? He was in the wild, wild west. He was in Ba Ba Black Sheep. And he had this series of commercials for Ever Ready in which he took and he set a battery on his shoulder. And he could just set it there because he had nice broad shoulders. I can't do it. It'll fall off. Uh, but he, he set it on his shoulder and he looked into the camera and he said, I dare you to knock this off. Then he explained, I dare you to put our alkaline batteries to the test. And basically he was saying, I, I dare you to test out our batteries. You're going to find out that they're really, really good just as we advertise. Doesn't our God do something similar here? He dares us to put his promise to the test. He says, bring me your first fruits. Bring me the best of what I've given you in response to my love as an offering to me. And then watch how I fill your life with my abundant blessings. In other words, trust me to take care of you. Now, does this mean that we bring our offerings in the hopes that God is going to make us even richer? No, of 
course not. Our, our reason for bringing offerings is a response to God's love. It's thanksgiving for what Jesus has done for us, for all of God's blessings. As the Bible says very clearly, Christ's love compels us. That's our motivation. God gives us this gracious promise, however, to take away any worries we may have about money because we're bringing generous offerings, to take away any excuse we might make to bring an offering that could be called anything less than generous for our God. You see, God says, trust me, bring that first fruits offering and trust that I'm going to take care of you. I just think of what the Apostle Paul said to the Romans. He said, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things. The God who saved our souls in Christ is not going to fail to take care of our other needs as well. My friends, I don't know what your income is. I don't know where you fall in comparison with the rest of the people here in, a, in our fair city. But I do know this, and I say it with confidence. You are rich. You are materially rich. And more importantly, you are spiritually rich in Christ. You are rich in the blessings of forgiveness and life and salvation. You are rich because you are God's dearly loved and forgiven children, the heirs of eternal life in Christ. My friends, in thanks for these spiritual riches, bring to God the best of your material riches. Honor the Lord with your wealth. God grant that to us all for Jesus' sake. Amen.